0: Hello and welcome to Piano Tech Radio Hour, the weekly bridge to the future of the Piano Tech community.
1: I'm David Anderson. And I'm Ethan Janney. And we're here to ask great questions and then we'll shut up and listen to some of the authorities, experts, and most outstanding personalities in our little world of pianos.
0: So put on your best set of headphones and let's get started.
1: Welcome to Piano Tech Radio Hour this week. I will give you all a, a little introduction to who our guest is today. I'm, I'm Ethan Janney, of course, and, and, uh, and we have David Anderson here as a co-host. Um, today's guest is uh, Rich Gallicini. He began with Cunningham Piano of Philadelphia over 30 years ago and is now co-owner. He is an active performer, degreed music educator, and student of the design, touch, and tone of the piano. He has participated in design and development of pianos for Cunningham and explored the science materials and processes involved. His special interest is in the piano's history, its greatest historical makers and what the pianists of today enjoy and desire most in their instruments. Rich, welcome to Piano Tech Radio Hour.
2: Thank you so much, Ethan, and uh, I am tremendously humbled to have been asked to be the guest here. So I thank you very much. I see a lot of uh familiar names and I see a lot of familiar faces and I'm very humbled that you're actually tuning in to see me. I don't know what you're doing that for, but I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and and I'll actually you know, I'll add this I forgot to just just remind everybody this is this events being brought to you by Piano Technicians Masterclasses, online educational resource that offers you cutting edge instruction from piano industry masters without leaving your home. Still figuring out what the best website to give you but um We'll be updating this soon. Uh, You can go to pianotechradio.com for more information. Um, And uh, for the live streaming page for this, you can just scroll down and you can find more information on what we offer. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to David and uh, and kick off the conversation. Rich and and David uh, go back as friends here, so I'll let him get started.
2: Hey, David.
0: Hey, Richie. How are you, man?
2: I'm feeling terrific. How are you, brother?
0: I'm moving forward and grateful to be alive brother.
2: Understood. Um,
0: Tell us about your setup in Philly or in in the Philly
2: area. For for those who don't know, I just want to give you a little history of Cunningham piano. Started as a manufacturer in 1891 in Philadelphia. Patrick Cunningham came to the United States from Ireland as a young man. And uh, one unusual thing was that he came with money in his pocket. Most of the Irish immigrants around that time were not coming with lots of money in their pocket. He had gotten involved in a cutting-edge technology in Ireland and quickly made a little bit of money. And that cutting-edge technology was a sewing machine. So he came to the United States. He did play piano, but as a businessman, he wanted to explore another cutting-edge technology. And at that time, he began the company in 1891. Pianos were flourishing, and they were, their numbers were going up. He saw this as a good thing, set up a small manufacturing facility in Philadelphia, at 50th and Parkside Avenues. If anybody's ever in Philadelphia, look me up. We'll go tour, uh, take a little piano tour. We never built more than 500 pianos a year, so it was small. And um, went out of business around 1941. I don't remember the exact date, but around 1941, they went out of business, stopped manufacturing pianos, and uh, closed in support of World War II. After World War II, Patrick Cunningham turned the company over to Lou Cohen. And if any East Coasters have heard names like uh, like Sid Cohen of Wilmington Piano or uh, Steve Cohen of Jason's Music in Baltimore, those are nephews of Lou Cohen, and, and their families all got started with Cunningham Piano right around that time. So Lou started doing restoration work. Today, that's a big part of what we do. We have developed lots of different parts of the business. So I'm, I'm a musician, and I love instruments i'm a singer first by the way but i'm also a church musician i do play organ piano we've gotten involved over the years with also organs so church organ installation pipe organ installation digital organ installation school services piano moving piano rebuilding new piano sales technology digital stuff it's a lot of fun outside service you know all these things that a piano store might do i think putting them all together uh, there's not a lot of piano stores doing all of that anymore, to my knowledge. I think a lot of people are going like this a little bit, and we're, we're still there. So that's sort of a quick doer's profile. Anybody remember the doer, doer's profile ads years ago? Yeah, I
0: mean, absolutely.
2: So It's a little quick uh, taste of, of who we are and where we came from.
0: And you now have three stores, right?
2: Yeah, three locations. And um, when I was a music major at Temple University in Philadelphia, I was 19 years old. And a buddy of mine, had, his parents had bought uh, Baldwin Hamilton reconditioned, all right? So it's regulated, reconditioned, touched up polished, used piano at Cunningham Piano. They said, Rich, I want your opinion. I want to see if you like it. Very, so that's great. I went up and the restoration facility is about 30,000 square feet. It's big. And walking through there at 19 years old, I didn't know you could rebuild a piano. I didn't know you could replace a soundboard. I didn't know any of these things. So uh, it, it it popped my head. I mean, it changed the direction of my life, actually. Never thinking I'd work there, never thinking I'd own the place, but really changed my head. Temple University has a two-year piano technology course. And I don't know if anybody knows Ralph Onesti, but he was teaching it at the time. And mm-hmm. I enrolled in the course. I was already you know, music ed and I was music performance. I had like 20 credits already. So unfortunately, uh, I had to drop out of that course. I don't think Ralph has forgiven me for that even today. But so that, that was my start of my journey. But um, I started at Cunningham Piano simply because I wanted to do something I loved while my performance career took off. That was 33 years ago. I'm still waiting for the performance career to take off. But there you go.
0: All right. And uh, you, have a, you have the, the big 30,000 square foot thing, right? The yeah. factory, the yeah. restoration facility, and piano's there as a showroom, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have a location in germantown
2: yeah that that is the and factory then, then we yeah. also have outside of the city we uh, on either side of the city so if here's philadelphia and i'm going to try to do this backwards because people are looking to be backwards i guess uh there's a the delaware river over here's new jersey we have a cherry hill new jersey store we have a philadelphia location and king of prussia right uh, across king of, king, of prussia. king of prussia mall which is That's in the right. area major shopping district
0: let me say something in every class i think i've ever taught I say that in our little domain, and I would say in business in general, that trust is the basis of everything we do. No trust. Sorry, I can't work for you because you don't trust me or there's some weird dissonance. I can't work that way. So what I found with you was kind of an instant rapport and trust. And it's I kind of watched our relationship and the trust was... Verified, and it's really the main, other than respect and affection and kind of love, even it's the main thing that we have. You trust my opinion and judgment and intuition, and I trust yours. Let's talk about that in terms of owners of piano stores and technicians. I've been on you know piano tech forums of one kind or another for 20 years. The one thing that I've heard a thousand times from piano technicians is man, I'm having such a difficult time at this store with these people, with this owner, store owner, and, you know, we're banging heads all the time, and he doesn't respect us. Talk about that.
2: Yeah. First of all, I got to tell you that for years, when we developed the Cunningham Piano, in my mind, and I'm always saying this because he was last week's guest, I wanted Del Fandridge to do the work. And Del, if you're here, great, hello. I'm not sure if you're here. Wouldn't blame if you're not. That didn't work out. I texted him after last week's class. I said, Dell, how can I follow you? You know, they're going to be throwing digital tomatoes at me. So he texted right back. He said, That's okay. I have some laying out. They're going to be right by Saturday. So we'll be good. (laughs) But but my point of just telling you that story is Dell Fandrich, I've really enjoyed watching his work. If my wife would let me put a little grind to piano technical geniuses, he might be be one of the people. Uh, I really have a lot of respect for him. So it comes out of first respecting and understanding what it is that a piano technician does every day. Certainly what a scale designer does every day, or maybe not every day, but the art and the science, the melding of the art and the science of the acoustic piano, having an appreciation for that, being able to sit down and appreciate the difference between a piano that comes, I mean, simply this, a piano that comes out of the box and a piano that gets four hours of regulation, or a piano that we've said, hey, listen, man, just go to town. We want this to be the best it can be. And two days later, we have something that's really spectacular. Really, it's understanding that this process happens. I, I told everybody here that I, was a, that I was a student of Ralph Onesti's. I dropped out of that course. So I can tune a piano, but nobody here is going to pay me to tune a piano. That's not what I do. But I, I have an appreciation and an understanding and, and need an understanding of, of all the things that we do. How's that for a start?
0: That's good for a all start. Right. That's really good. And I I really want people... My brothers and sisters out there, you know, listening and watching this, to ask some questions because I think this is an amazing opportunity to ask somebody. Look, Rich Galassini is probably, oh, certainly in the top five of successful piano dealers
2: in this no, you country. Mean, you're being too kind, David. I, I appreciate. I'm not, that. about am not.
0: You're, you're too self-deprecating, so I'm going to give you a, not a digital tomato, but a digital. Uh, slap across the face like the movie Moonshine and say, "Snap out of it!" You're, <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah.
2: fair enough. Uh, a great,
0: enough. A, a really a good piano dealer. Really, truly, and <clears throat> he's the Bosendorfer dealer. He's the Kawhi dealer. What
2: else? Uh, we don't deal with Kawhi. We deal with Yamaha, Bosendorfer. Ah, that's right.
0: So sorry, <clears throat> I <I'm throat> meant Yamaha.
2: Sorry, uh, uh, Estonia. Uh, And uh, we do a lot of rebuilding. Uh, We do a lot of contract rebuilding. And when you're talking about trust, obviously, if a family owns an instrument and I'm asking them to put $40,000 into a really fine high-end restoration, first of all, they've got to be educated. They've got to understand the difference between the $40,000 that I'm asking and maybe somebody else who's asking $14,000, you know? It's two different types of work. It's done by two different sets of people. And just seeing some of the names and faces here, there are people that do wonderful work here. But if somebody has a choice and there's a local technician who will do something and, you know, there's an understanding that has to be built there. And, of course, a trust.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So you're also the main, like, warranty center for that area for both Bosendorfer, Bosendorfer and Yamaha. Is that correct? Yeah.
2: Uh, actually, we've also done warranty work for Kauai. They've sent us a few grand pianos that needed some work in the past couple of years. So I don't know if you call us warranty center for them, but we are a resource for manufacturers in general. Uh, in 2005, we were named Bosendorfer's North American Warranty Center. Now, thankfully, so for instance, David, if there is a Bosendorfer in your backyard, and it was something a little more involved than you wanted to get involved in in the house, before 2005, they would create the piano and send it to Vienna, which doesn't make any sense. Um, That's crazy. It is crazy. Uh, but, <laughs> that was
0: pre-Yamaha, right?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in 2005, which is also pre-Yamaha, we were named as their uh, North American Warranty Center. When Yamaha took over, Yamaha didn't like that. They didn't want to have one dealer sit- singled out. So we lost that, uh, I guess, moniker. We still had a couple Bosendorfers come to us. It's, it's not a lot of work. They're a nice piano. They, they come out flawlessly. They just don't let them leave the factory otherwise.
0: So one thing we haven't talked about is the Cunningham piano itself. Yeah. So there has been for 20 years, I believe there's been an incredible bias about Chinese pianos, pianos that are assembled in China. I think some of our brothers and sisters in the pianotech community still have that bias. Would you kind of break down what's different about the Cunningham piano?
2: Yeah, sure. So first of all, I think bias deserves to be there. Let's say 20 years ago, the goal of every Chinese manufacturer, in my humble opinion, was to make a piano that could play. When you hit a note, when you hit a key, a note sounded. That was really where they were. Um, I don't think there's too many people here that would disagree with me. 20 years ago. Of course, that has changed. There are new manufacturing facilities, new technologies that are being used in China. As a matter of fact, about 20 years ago, this just occurred to me at the time, there were factory designers from Pearl River that wanted to spend a week at our place. We let them do that. And actually I was against it at the time. I thought, well, why why do we want to show them everything that we do? Well, the bottom line was they had never seen an old piano. And that boggles my mind, but they had never seen older instruments. They wanted to take a look at a 1920 Mason and Hamlin. We had the soundboard out of, and can look at. And they wanted to see a Steinway A. They, you know, they wanted to see great pianos. Just other things besides their small, very narrow perspective at that time. Things change. So at this point, I think that judging any manufacturer by the continent they're on, whether we're talking about Europe, America, China, you know, from where they're located, I think would be irresponsible. There are now so many things behind the scenes that I'm aware of, and I'm sure there's a lot of things that I'm not aware of with globalization. Pianos that traditionally have been all German now have labor from outside of Germany, sometimes outside of Europe to save on labor expense in order to get a better selling price and a better margin so they can stay in business is what they need to do. Some of the Chinese instruments that were formerly only, 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 very entry-level instruments now, by their own accord, are using components and using other technologies to have a higher level of piano. Yeah. So that, you know, the times they are changing. That's the only thing consistent, I think, is change, right?
0: So if you can take, absolutely, the build quality and the materials quality of the best Chinese pianos is pretty darn high, I have to say. After yeah. working, again, for, after a long period of time for a piano dealer for the past six years, I can tell you that even in that period of time, the quality has improved starkly. So, and among my favorite pianos are those made by High Loon. Can you tell me what differentiates a Cunningham Grand Piano from uh, just a High Loon off the shelf?
2: Well, sure. Uh, Let me first talk about how we chose High Loon. They were not our first choice. So 20 years ago... um, We simply had Chowbo music and Chowbo music is not a player today. And they really weren't a player then, but they didn't have the ability to change their piano for us. So we ordered some pianos from them and just put them through our factory and did the the best technical work that we could to raise them to a great level. And so our idea at that time was just to have a house brand. And that was fine. But as soon as we started doing that, we said, "Whoa, whoa, Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's do more. And this was, the last thing I want to do is take credit where other credit should be given. And I have to tell you with 15 men in our facility and people there who are very familiar with design, I, I think the one thing that I've done is surrounded myself by people smarter than me. Okay. So the opinion of these people were that, Hey, let's talk to Chen Hailun. We already, we're doing some business with him. Chen Hailun is the person who owns Hailun piano. So my business partner, Tim Oliver, one with our factory manager and spent time in uh, Ningbo, which is outside of Shanghai. And we ended up hiring Frank Emerson, although I would have loved to have had Dell. But anyway, we hired Frank Emerson. So what's different from our piano to the Hailun piano? So the best scale, well, the most popular scale that Hailun has is their 178. So we have a 180 centimeter model. The rim is done on the same press, but with a little different design. The soundboard is different, the bridge placement is different, the plate is different, the hammers are different. The action setup itself is the same. So an awful lot is different. You can't look at our piano and look at a High Loon and confuse them. They are not the same piano, uh, technically. And, and visually they're a little different as well. But that's from a marketing standpoint and from actually selling the piano, that might be the most important part. It's the part we talked about last. What we wanted to do was have a rebirth of the original Matchless Cunningham piano. So. You can't do that. Well, we could have done that, but we'd all be out of business and, and living in David's extra bedroom. So that, <laughs> that didn't work out. But um, what we could do is take elements of that. Frank Emerson also spent time with original Cunningham pianos that we hadn't had. We, we did some rebuilds. In Philadelphia, it's still a name that has recognition. They're a nice piano, but they're not a Mason. They're not a Bosendorfer. They're not a Steinway Pianists who may never have had a piano growing up. So I I respect what they did. I'm not saying they're great instruments. But today, that instrument would be, say, a Clavinova. Uh, That spin is no longer manufactured. And that's probably a good thing. I think that the low-end instruments today are a whole lot better than the low-end instruments when when I was growing up. And not all of them have strings and hammers. So now, I only said that to say this. Keyboard instruments have actually expanded a lot. But not all of them have strings. So if we look at keyboards that are, uh, say, above $400, they've gone from, I'm sorry, I don't have the numbers in my mind, but in the 1970s to a big number, most of which were acoustic spinets and consoles, compressed action consoles, that frankly nobody really wants to service anyway, right? Let's be honest. But those were by far the largest selling components. Now, the good news is we get paid to go into the home and service those instruments even today. The bad news is that, Those instruments, those first instruments are now digital. Cunningham Piano, three years ago, we were approached. We've been a Bosendorfer dealer for a long time. we were a national dealer a couple of times. And then Yamaha came to us after they owned Bosendorfer and said, you know, we're going to look at you as as a dealer. And they did. We uh, came to an agreement, partially on our part, based on the way that they've changed their tonal palette over the past decade. The new CX series, a lot of new, uh, the CFX, the S series pianos. Love them. I really do. So. We, we got together. What I didn't expect, that first year, I sold more Clavinovas in numbers than I had pianos the year before. I'll say that again. More Clavinovas than I had pianos the year before. That wow. amazed me. I didn't expect that. Now, we're a piano company. I love acoustic pianos. I don't want to stop selling acoustic pianos. I want our people to service them. I want everybody here to make a good living for the rest of their lives and be able to train somebody else to do what you do. So... Those digital pianos, we look at as a seed. Because frankly, if it weren't for those digitals that were in the low teens, then a lot of these kids might not start piano. A lot of these families might not get a first piano. So we give them trade-up options. We give them incentives. We we have events at our stores and invite people in. David came out for a couple days. Well, we did one day with piano technicians. And we sent uh, an email to customers. I don't think we had any takers, David, but uh, we said, hey, come on in, meet David Anderson. But I don't think it happened this time around, but we've done that before. So I think encouraging, you know, our present, just like everybody here for Piano Technical, if you have a tuning customer and we haven't talked to them about a damn chaser, about regulation, about voicing, we're not doing our jobs, right? Yeah. And as a, as a dealer, if, if somebody purchases a very modest Clavinova or a used console or spinner, for that matter, uh, and we're not talking to them about what's better and inviting them into experience and to see somebody play and meet a technician. And if we don't educate them, they, they will just stick with that piano thing. That's all they have. That's all that's available.
0: So that's a great answer. Thank you. Chris Hacking. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Says, hi, all. How do you see your business and the piano business in general faring post-COVID-19? How do you think independent tuners and technicians will be affected by the crisis in the coming months and years.
2: I think that uh, we will see a snapback. I really do. Uh, I I will tell you that the activity on my website has gone up over the past two or three weeks. Now, yeah, people are sitting at home. That's true. And maybe they're trying to figure out something to do. We actually had last night a a YouTube live session on a very high-end digital piano, a very high-end clavinova, the most expensive one they make. It's like, 15 grand, but it was, a fa- it was a YouTube live session. And we had about 10 leads. Now these are people that have no idea what this thing costs, but 10 leads came in who are looking for an instrument. A lot of them are in our Philadelphia area, but a good number of them are way outside. The beautiful mm-hmm. thing is we have so much like rebuilt instruments, reconditioned. We can deliver them everywhere. So anyway, I really feel like we'll see a snapback. I hope I'm not wrong about that, but I think we're going to have a lot of things happening. There's, there's really two kinds of businesses. Please ignore my phone. I, I'm going to ignore them. If we were running a luncheon whose business every Friday afternoon was to hit the business people on their lunch hour, and now those people are sitting at home, well, that's lost business. But thankfully, a piano purchase is not that. A piano purchase is something that's generally carefully considered, and it's something that's, that's done to improve life, right? So that's a purchase that could be put off that will snap back, in my humble opinion. I think maintenance of piano is a little less snappy, I think. I could be wrong. This is just my personal opinion, which is why we were very careful to have, you know, people already set in June and July. So we have two full months, and, and maybe some of you guys have your whole year full, so you're, you're good. And I totally appreciate that some of you do. But I think that's an easier thing to skip if we're not persistent in letting them know that it needs to be done.
0: Yeah, I think so much of our job as piano technicians, probably half at least, is having relationship skills, number one, and number two, educating. Not being afraid to just be authentically truthful about the condition of the piano, the quality of the piano, everything. I think that's massively interesting. Brett Witten says... I grew up playing on the Betsy Ross Bennett until I was 16. <laughs> so there you go.
1: Gives uh, you an appreciation uh, for the next level.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Do you have a recommendation for safety protocol when independent technicians are allowed to do home service again?
2: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what we have already discussed and what we plan. So we want all our people to be safe. And once we're allowed to go into a home, we don't know that all of our technicians. Will want to go into the home. I'm thinking of one particular gentleman who's in his—he's uh, past retirement age. This is a second career for him. Great technician, but uh, he's in a—he's in an age and a health that might be an issue. I don't know that he'll say, "Hey, Rich, I'm—I'm ready to go out." But uh, if he does, standard PPE: mask, gloves, booties, hand sanitizer. Bring it in, clean the keyboard before we do anything. Talk to the customer from a social distance, of course. Do <laughs> our work and put it all together, and, and sanitize again before we leave. Yeah, so that, that's what we plan on doing. Uh, if anyone has something to add to that, I would love to hear it.
0: Okay, uh, Mr. Janney, you have any? Uh, jump right in. You got any questions or comments or anything?
1: Well, uh, to shift the direction away from uh, the crisis, I'm just curious that you've been in the business for for quite a while, there, Rich. And and from kind of walking into, into a store to owning it, got any uh, crazy piano stories you want to share with us? <laughs>
2: I think everybody has crazy piano stories. All right, so this is I'm going to be very, very general.. I <laughs> this is going to be a good story.: know the people I'm talking about. <laughs> so Kauai was the first company, really, that started college sales, and they really, when they started, were sort of seat of the pants, shoot from the hip. There were some people making a lot of money and not always the most ethical way, OK? Because the salespeople who came in were paid more money when they sold for more money, they had obscure models, and I'm not saying Kauai. I'm saying the people who are doing these sales. Uh, so you know, obscure models, so the customer didn't know that hey, this was the same model that I just saw at the local store. Uh, there was something over the model number, or, or they pop it off the plate. One of these people was actually in the Philadelphia area. He's not from the Philadelphia area, and there was a very strong relationship between Kauai and this particular college, and this guy was carrying a gun at the sale. Not only was he <laughs> carrying a gun, but he took it out and was playing with it with other people around him. And How was, long ago was this? 20, 20 years ago. But anyway, so not only that, but there was a security guard who saw the whole thing. So unfortunately, he was barred from this promotion. Kawhi was asked to leave the school. It was a big, hullabaloo. It was nothing fun for anybody. Just plain stupid, but it goes kind of hand in hand with the maverick kind of attitude. And uh, from the very first college sales, I'd heard that there was this one company back then that was starting to do these. And if you wanted to sell for them, you would have to pay them a premium. So if I wanted to be their salesperson, I'd have to write a check to them for the opportunity to go and sell.
0: Wow. Pay to play. Wow, That's
2: weird. It's just weird.
0: It yes. bizarre. So do you guys do college and university
2: sales? Do you get yeah, into we, that? We do, some, we do some, yes. Because without some college placements, there are some colleges that just couldn't afford instruments. And some of it is long-term loan with no promotion at all. But for instance, the Philadelphia International Music Festival, they need 40 pianos for two weeks. That's it. And the school that they, that they do it with is Bryn Mawr College in Bryn Mawr, PA. Very fine school, but their pianos are off. And we've tried and approached, and we've gotten some headway. So we loan them 40 pianos for two weeks. That costs thousands of dollars. I mean, technicians, movers, and then while they're there, of course they're moved. This is in the middle of summer. Bryn Mawr College is an old school. There's not a lot of air conditioning, so we've got to go through and do, you know, that first week. We've got to go through, and then sometimes a second time. Uh, And for the concerts, of course, you know, technicians there. It's a lot of money. Philadelphia International Music Festival has no money to speak of. They pay a little something. But the only way that we pay for all those services is to make some profit in a sale. And in that case, you know what? It saves us money because we don't have to bring them back. We don't have to re-regulate. We don't have to put them back on the floor, touch up cabinets. They go from there and they go out. So there, there is a real need. Uh, and I think if we approach it in that way, there's a need by the school. There's a need by the consumer. There's a need for whatever music festival. And approach it that way and try to be fair when we're selling the instruments and actually sell them for a discount. Because in the day of the internet, man, you get a whole lot of one stars real quick if you're not trying to do the best.
0: And has that rise of the intelligent and informed consumer radically altered the, the piano sales business?
2: Absolutely, yes. Um, because today, I could have a customer walk in, and as I'm starting to talk to them, they talk back to me. Uh, and they've already done their homework. They know an awful lot of uh, beginning level and sometimes a whole more than beginning level information. Uh, I've had people walk in and start talking to me about, literally, about the physics of the scale design on this piano and what are the weaknesses in this piano. And I think they're probably part of the piano tech list. I don't know. But (laughs) I've had people walk in with tremendous amounts of knowledge that 30 years ago, I would spend two hours trying to educate them. And then it's just a matter of choosing a piano. It's It has changed tremendously. Yeah.
0: So, and this brings me up to a, a fascinating paradox that I know all of us has, as piano technicians have run into. The phrase we have is, they know just enough to be dangerous. Can you comment on that?
2: Sure. So we've all had a customer who, for whatever reason, we've serviced the instrument and they're not happy, but they don't know why they're not happy. They just know they're not happy. So that, that's one of these things where they, they just know it's not right for them. Education, communication is the is the key there for acoustic instruments. Yeah, one of the one of the really nice things is if I have a customer who knows a little bit but doesn't understand, they only know a little bit. Uh, I'll introduce them. That's exactly
0: it, what I'm. That's exactly what I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, but so they if I have,
0: think they know way more than they do. They think they're qualified, and in some instances, they think that they know more than you, which is yeah. a dangerous situation to
2: get into. Sure. So when that happens. I will introduce them to one of our very high-level musicians. And sometimes, at the risk of insulting somebody, we just have to insist, you know, I'm sorry, you're wrong. That's just the way it is. And then we have to show them that they're wrong. That's that's sometimes the difficult part. It's easier yeah. for me if we happen to be at a restoration facility because I can walk over to a piano that's entirely in pieces. It's a little harder in the home, but it, it can be done. And sometimes you have to say that.
1: I'd like to bring up the topic of... Um... That came up actually with Rick a couple of weeks ago, Rick Overton. There's this idea of like selling pianos and there's a setup process. And I feel like there's a portion of that setup process that be, that can be done in the showroom, and the you know the pianist can come in and they can play it and they can say, "Oh, I like this one. And then of course, the piano gets moved and it go, goes in their house, you know, and it, it's it's a different environment. It was just moved. And now, maybe it needs setup up again, or maybe the person who bought it has some sort of special taste as far as setup goes. It needs to be voiced now for their home when it was voiced in the in the showroom and I know this you know applies more to kind of the the more discerning client, but do you have any thoughts on how that process could be optimized? Because when you talk about a technician being able to have that relationship with a dealer making them look good? I think this is a really solid place where somebody can get a piano in their home and it's like butter when all is said and done. And that gives the reputation to the, the dealer. But I know on the other side of it, you got to know where to invest the time and energy in order to make that piano right sure. for that person.
2: So, yeah. So for me, as the dealer, I try to build relationships in my area and, and out of my area so that if I have an issue, I, I know somebody that I can depend on. Because really, once the piano leaves our showroom, now we're depending on somebody else to help preserve that customer's opinion, that instrument's integrity and the integrity of of indirectly maybe, but the integrity of my reputation, right? So we do have full-time technicians and within around 50 or so miles of the Greater Philadelphia area, we'll go out and service instruments. There are lots of times, you know, even in our area where my guys are booked. So I've got to call somebody else. So anyway, I do have that happening. Again, I think it it boils down to my intent, the way the customer has been educated. So if we don't talk about that before the piano goes out, that's that's my bad. That customer has to know that there are going to be issues. They've got to know, hey, the first year, you're going to have to have it serviced four times, not twice, four times. And by the way, uh, all of these parts need to settle in. So six months from now, you're going to experience sticking notes. You're going to have, and, and these are things that as, you know, a salesperson of any kind, you don't want to talk about the negative aspects, but it's reality. And I've never had somebody say, oh, wait, wait I don't want to get a piano. Be, oh, gee, I have to tune it four times. I, they, they want to know. Today, I think that there's enough of this on the internet in general. They've already seen this. So I'm not the first one to bring it up. But if I don't bring it up, they might not understand this. And I think when you approach it that way, where they already know it's going to be in my house, it's going to go out of tune. I might have a sticking note. I I might need a little voicing uh, as it settles in, as I play it. And all of these things, if they understand it's a living, breathing machine that needs a continual service, then a lot of those things go away.
0: In my personal experience, until I educated my good friend Rick Overton when he was the COO of Hollywood Piano, they would send out technicians that were not equipped on a skill level to do that kind of diagnosis on a piano and to be able to please a client. My partner and I, Nick Morello, would serve as kind of the gunslingers. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, this guy's gone out, this guy's gone out, and they're still bitching and moaning, basically. Uh, Will you guys go out? I said, why don't you allow us, if that person talks about they're picky and they, they need this and that, why don't you let us set the piano up first and then be the first call to go out because you're spending hundreds of dollars that you don't need to spend. I think that's a big thing. You know, dealers, as you know, Rich, are always looking at the bottom line, looking at the costs, looking at the the expenses every single week. You're digging into that. So speak on that a little bit.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I might have an advantage over some dealers in that I employ 15 technicians full-time in my shop and have a number of them out on the road. So I would never call myself a technician. I have an understanding of it, but I'm not a technician. But I employ a whole lot of them. We do have people who will prep all of our instruments well. That's something that we try to do all the time. And that's the first step. When when it's when it's consistent and well prepped to begin with, it's easier to sell. I mean, let's face it. Even
0: an $18,000 piano, I, oh. I would say especially. Some dealers draw the the expert line at like 30 grand or 40 grand or whatever. Yeah, no, no
2: question about it. So if that's done, then that same technician could be the person who goes in. But now we've got a set of people who work with each other all the time. So if technician A did the prep and technician B over here understands that, they can work together and they've done it before. So it's a natural sort of thing. It's like playing with musicians on a regular basis. You know, you're a guitarist, David, but if you're playing with a keyboard player and you already know what he's gonna do, you can work together much better. So part of it's knowing, it doesn't have to be the same person, that helps, sure. But if it's not the same person, having familiarity with where things are, generally speaking, helps a lot. Well, while while Ethan is getting his microphone set up, I just wanna thank everybody for coming. Um, I hope this was worth your time. I have great respect for a lot of the faces and names that I see here, met before, and I'm sure I'll meet you again. And for the people that I, that I don't know firsthand, I'm sorry about that, but we'll have to meet at some point. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen. I hope it was helpful. Thanks
1: everyone for joining. These hours go by very quickly, but uh, that's okay because we have another hour coming up in one week. And David and I are working on the best guests that we can get for Piano Technician Radio Hour. We'll be setting up a website soon at Pianotechradio.com.
2: If anybody thinks that I can help them in any way, my direct email is rich at Cunninghampiano.com. It's pretty simple. If you go to my website and meet the owners, you'll be able to email me directly there. If you need my cell phone number, I'd happy to give it if you want to call me and talk about something. It's 215-651-6713. I mean, we're all in this together. And when when we all put together the fact that dealer, technician, teacher, student, consumer, we're all the same. I'm there for support. And if you need support, and, or, or if you think you see something that you want me to know about that I can do better, please call with that too, all right?
0: Yeah, it always fills me with joy to do this. No matter whether I'm dragging on the floor, when I come here and do this, this is awesome. This is really good. I truly thank my brothers and sisters in the pianotech community for brightening up my day.
1: Very much so. Thank you, guys. And we'll sign off Facebook and we'll sign off Zoom in a minute. All right. See you guys. Thank you all. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. Remember that you can catch us live online every Saturday at
1: 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That's right. Go to pianotechradio.com to register so you can interact live and ask questions of our guests. See you next
2: week.